I think it's fascinating how so many works of speculative fiction and dystopias and etc have societies where people can't read. I I mean I, it makes sense because they're all crafted by writers and that would be a very dystopian thing for these writers, but I've never seen it done in this way. Usually it's like a totalitarian government that won't let people read, but to actually lose the ability and the heartbreak of that. She captures in like a single sentence. It's really, really mesmerizing. Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Speech Sounds, a short story by Octavia Butler. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I feel it like hasn't been that long. It doesn't feel like <laughs> forever since we did a short story episode. <laughs> that is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it feels like forever. And I'm excited. We almost forgot to add this to our episode calendar. That's how long it's been since we recorded at least a short story episode. And it was kind of off our radar but I'm really glad we remembered because I always really enjoy these discussions. Me too. It's always nice to take something a little more bite-sized and feel like we can dig into it a little bit further in, you know, an under one hour episode. Yes. And this short story I've read before, but it's been a really long time. And certainly reading it now was a whole new experience compared to the whatever five years ago or something that I read it. Yes, because it is a pandemic short story. I had not read this before. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we didn't try to do this like last March or April. (laughs) But a year in, you know, it's not to say that we've all adjusted to a new normal or anything like that, but just kind of can can have a slightly different lens or, or examine these things in a slightly different way. So, yeah, I I thought it was really fascinating to read this right now. If we have listeners who are tuning in to Short Story Club and they're like, I don't think I can read a pandemic story. This is intense and it is about a pandemic. But I think, I mean, for me, because the virus that gets gets some, you know, words on the page in this story is so much different than COVID-19. It's, it is a virus that basically affected people's language and almost had stroke-like symptoms and left people with memory loss, language loss, either the, um, taking away their ability to read and write or taking away their ability to speak and communicate that way. And it was just different enough, but also, (laughs) really relevant as we're going to re-enter society and not have interacted with each other except for across Zoom for many of us. And so it was it was a good mix of distance 
and also feeling really close to reality for me. Also for our listeners, I mean, the story is really intense and the ending is maybe bittersweet, but I feel like there's a note of hope at the end of this short story. So just also a note in Short Story Club, spoilers abound. We're going to talk about this whole thing. I think you could definitely listen to this and then go and read the story or listen, pick up the pairings, not read the short story ever. But if you don't want this story spoiled for you, definitely pause this now. There's a link to the story in the show notes. You can read it real quick and then come back and join us. So this short story, Speech Sounds by Octavia Butler, is science fiction. And it's about a woman named Rye. And she is she's re-entering the world too after this pandemic has swept the U.S. and taken people's ability to communicate with each other. And we get to experience the new world through Rye. And I thought that the way that Octavia Butler did her world building was so great. It's my favorite. I hate when science fiction or fantasy authors devote pages and pages to description. I just want to experience the world through the characters and pick up slowly on what's happening. And that's exactly what she does here. I was thinking a lot about, I recently read George Saunders's book, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, which is all about the craft of the short story. But he focuses on like classic Russian literature, so completely different than this. But I was just thinking about all of the things he had said about pacing and the way master short story writers can kind of leave you little clues. So you start piecing things together along the way and um, hinting at what's to come, but still surprising you. And I I was so glad I had all of those things to look for forefront of mind while I was reading this because I just thought she did such a fantastic job. Like like you're saying, with the world building, early in the story, as Rai is re-entering society, she's she's thinking she might try to find her brother or brother-in-law. She doesn't, she's alone. And she gets on this bus. And, you know, we can tell from the title speech sounds that there's going to be something important about speech and communication here. And the way she describes people grunting and gesturing making small, anxious sounds, whimpering. You just really, both quickly and gently, start to pick up on the fact that there's no language happening in this place that she's in. It was just, it was so brilliant with just her her diction, her word selection. Yeah, and just a select few sort of, there'll be a situation happening and then just a little bit of explanation. So at one point, you know, the altercation is getting pretty bad. So the bus stops. Rye comes across someone who steps out of a truck and he takes his jacket off and reveals that he has basically like a police officer's uniform on. And she, we can see she's thinking, police don't exist anymore. What is he doing? He's just decided to be a vigilante or he's decided that he's the law and order. What's going on? And you get those little things that pick up and, you know, she feels threatened. So she has her hand on her gun. And just this one quote really stuck out at me as I was reading, just because I think it's, it 
In so few words, Octavia Butler says so much about what's happening. And this is even before she's explained what the pandemic did and what the how the virus affected people. It says, and in this world where the only likely common language was body language, being armed was often enough. You get so much just in that sentence. Yeah, that moment of tension with the with the guy who she comes to call Obsidian later in the story is so well done. It's so interesting. We, I mean, I think it's also, it's also interesting being, reading this right now when we're thinking a lot about police violence and wondering who is this man who is still, you know, living this life as a police officer when she's telling us that's not a thing anymore. I was really, really nervous. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with with context right now. But that would certainly be, of course, context that Octavia Butler would be would know that she was playing with there. And then he kind of he breaks up this this fight and he kind of waves Rye and wants her to come with him. And it's a it's a moment of tension as a reader because you don't want her to stay where she is because it's dangerous, but you just don't know if you can can trust him. And, and Rye, Rye feels the same, and she ultimately goes. One of my notes that I've written down is that the illness has stripped everyone of language, has stripped people of their families, has stripped people, in many cases, of their vocations, has stripped society of all of its trappings, but the patriarchy still exists. Yep. Totally. Women are still afraid of men. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. There's there is still there is no language, but there is still power and there is still violence. And one could argue the violence has increased because of the lack of language. And yeah, it the way that that's presented in the text is pretty fascinating and also heart pounding because it's terrifying as someone who (laughs) identifies as a woman and presents that way to the world to think about getting off of this bus and only having the choice to go with a man you don't know or face a handful of men that are leering at you and threatening you. Mm -hmm. It's really scary. It's really scary. It's really scary. And I, to, to bridge that with kind of what she's doing with the illness itself I th- I thought it was fascinating how the the illness is about like you like you've said a loss of language capabilities and and we should get into the way it affects people differently because I think that's fascinating but she's connecting a a loss of language capabilities with a loss of control and that as as people lose their ability to communicate they also kind of lose their ability to adhere to social norms. They they start breaking the social contract more. They're more violent. They're more volatile. And I mean, that for someone who who loves thinking about words and language and the way it shapes our society, I thought that was really an interesting thing to explore here. Yeah. And it's fascinating the way that she presents that initial altercation on the bus. And these two men getting up in each other's faces and really tense. She distinctly says, it could have been a disagreement, but more likely it was a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. 
and that they are in each other's faces because they simply misunderstand each other. Not necessarily that they have this deep-seated disagreement or, you know, they might agree on a lot of things, but there's this misunderstanding. They don't have the language to communicate with one another because it, it, there are certain gestures that are seen as universal, like Rai shakes her head no, and that's understood, and there are some other gestures that people just understand, but there is no specific shared language mm-hmm. yet. Right, right. I think she she does such an interesting thing with that because if it, if it affected people in entirely the same ways, there would be more workarounds, right? Like people could write things down or... Um, you know, people could could make certain sounds even if it wasn't speech. But the illness doesn't affect people the same way. Some people can still read and write, but they can maybe only make a single sound verbally. Some people, we learn, can speak and can understand language, but have completely lost the capability to read and write. And I found that to be fascinating thematically but also in terms of connecting it with our lived experience in a year of pandemic life like very very real just i i guess until we all experienced covid i guess i wouldn't have thought as much about how a single virus can affect people and communities so differently and you know some people are are fine and for other people it it's fatal and and some people their jobs are totally gone and other people it's easy they can just not easy but they can work and do what they do from home and i i loved how she explored the the individual differences of this single illness yeah and on such a visceral level on such an emotional level because so we learn that rye lost her ability to read and write and she was a history professor And the part that's just a gut punch is she has a house full of books and she can't read them and she can't even remember what they're about. So she could pick up a book. She can't read the title. She doesn't remember based on what the cover looks like, what's it, what it's about. Her memory went to. And when she learns that Obsidian can read and write because he's reading a map, she is so jealous and angry that she wants to kill him. And it even says in the text, she's been angry. Obviously, she lost her children. She lost her husband. She's lost everything. But she has never felt so angry that she could murder someone. And, you know, she kind of starts to understand a little bit more how people are responding in such violence because of just that extremely visceral jealousy and anger. And she is only calmed down when she realizes she can speak and he cannot. And he feels the same jealousy towards her. Yeah. I think it's fascinating how so many works of speculative fiction and dystopias and et cetera have societies where people can't read. I, I mean, I, it makes sense because they're all crafted by writers and that would be a very dystopian thing for these writers, but I've never seen it done in this way. 
Usually it's like a totalitarian government that won't let people read, but to actually lose the ability and the heartbreak of that, she captures in like a single sentence. It's really, really mesmerizing. And it seems like the question is being posed because Butler doesn't say one way or the other, well, this is obviously better or this is this way is worse. But it seems like the question is being posed do you, the reader, value speech more or do you value written language more? Because I do think that I I was trying to think in our society where we have internet culture and we're communicating through memes and tweets and just constantly seeing writing to communicate with each other and texting each other instead of calling. It almost seems like we've seen a shift farther over to more text emphasis. But you think about, you know, someone whose career is public speaking or, I don't know, extroverts who love to talk with each other more. And I I do think there would be a certain split in our society of people who value one over the other more, partly based on personality, partly based on what you love to do. But it's interesting to think of how your other values in life might align with what what would affect you more, depending on losing ability to write or the ability to speak. Throughout the the whole thing, before we knew that she can speak, Rai can speak, I was thinking of just how kind of claustrophobic it must feel to have all of these thoughts in your head and not be able to have an effective way to to communicate them. And then the written piece is more about to me like no longer being able to take information in. So it's on the I mean she can't write either so there's that component but that that's kind of how my brain processed this was like the ability to share and communicate versus the ability to learn and gather. Um, and of course, they both have elements of each of that, but it is such an interesting question, and I'm really glad that I don't have to answer it. Yeah, and both of them are hiding their ability because yes. there are also people in society. It's not like you got this virus and it's either or. Right. There are a lot of people who completely lost all language capability, so they cannot speak, they cannot read or write, and if you reveal yourself as someone who can speak, it's that jealous rage and that sort of rage at the injustice of it all that bubbles to the surface in this violence. And so the reason that we don't see that Rai speaks until far later in the story is she's scared to say anything out loud. Mm-hmm. She's she's afraid that people will recognize her as a speaking person. And so even though they're jealous of each other, they do kind of bond over that, over what they have to hide. And Obsidian, for the length of pages we know him, does turn out to be a good a good person, somebody who Rai connects with. And they have an intimate moment together. She hasn't been touched by someone in years. She hasn't connected with anyone, communicated with anyone in, in years. And she asks him to to come home with her and to move in with her and um, to be to be a team. She does like this little 
hand sign where she smushes her two fingers together and he grabs them and um it's very it's very sweet um yeah and then things get sad yes so it's a short story it's sci-fi we know there's going to be conflict and tension and action and the conflict is really high at the beginning it's still pretty tense when they're in the car together but then we see a little dip and it's like oh, this is nice. <laughs> they have agreed to be together. They're not going to be lonely. And then we see another major spike in the conflict when all of the sudden a person runs in front of their vehicle and they see that there is a man chasing after her with a knife. And we know already that Obsidian sort of has taken on this role as protector. Butler even uses that word to describe and says, you know, we need protectors in this society. We see that he's taken on that mantle. And so he runs out to defuse the situation and puts himself in harm's way. And three people end up dead. Yeah. And it happens so quickly. And and I think as soon as he gets out of the car, or even as soon as we sense danger, we know where this is going. We're we're readers, right? And we we know that having just had this turning point towards something positive um, and hopeful, with the amount of pages we have left, there's going to have to be another another dip, another turn. She does a good job, I think, too, of really showing the horror of the violence without it being graphic at all like Mm -hmm. it's it's really I think well done in terms of like gets your heart rate up it's scary but it's not not gratuitous in in any means and then we get these three deaths and then we get our first like dialogue of the of the short story when a little girl comes out of the house two children come out of the house and the little girl says no and it kind of like shakes Rye awake. She can't believe that she's hearing words. The end is just as interesting as the rest of the story. And we see another spike in conflict where Rai is dealing with this inner turmoil of she is a mother. Her kids died in this pandemic. And her first instinct is, oh, these children... I should take care of them. And then her second thought immediately is no. They're just, what is the point? We're in this society where everyone's just going to run around wild. I think that in a couple of different passages, she sort of articulates that the kids are just going to be chimpanzees now, basically, Um, which really shows, I don't know if it's Butler's idea or Rye's idea, because you never know exactly who the author is speaking through, that without language, humans are sort of bumped down an evolutionary level. The kids are sort of talking a little bit more to each other, trying to, the, I think the little boy tells the little girl, be quiet, we're not allowed to talk. And Rye tries to take care of these dead bodies. You see her motherly instinct just in wanting to mm-hmm. bury these people and take care of these people who have just died. And by the end, I mean, you're certainly rooting for her to take the kids and she does. And she sort of, when she whispers to them, she has this thought of, I could teach them. 
we know she's a history professor. It's, it is totally a spark of hope. Mm -hmm. I thought she was going to leave the kids. (laughs) I just, I think my, my, you know, cynical brain or read a lot of really dark things was just like, this is it. And I'm just going to be wondering about these, but she, she takes them and, um, that moment of connection and and she's able to calm them and alleviate their fear through speech as well. And I think that, you know, she's clearly saying something about speech and, and language there, but there are other moments and types of connection, like the connection that Rai has with Obsidian, even though they can't communicate very easily, they can't speak, they can't write to each other. So I think she's saying more about like caring for for each other and those moments of of true connection, whether they come from speech or touch or or, or what. Um, but it it is a really nice and and hopeful end. Yeah, and so I just think pretty much every single sci-fi book or story or movie is posing the question: What makes us human? whether they're dealing with artificial intelligence or life on another planet or how humans respond to a disaster or how humans respond to a new technology. The question at the center is what actually makes us human? And I don't know that you could say, I mean, on the one hand, it seems like Butler could is making an argument that language is a really big part of humanity. But... I don't know. I I struggle with that because even aside from, you know, this dystopian world in our world, we do have people who are nonverbal and don't have a clear way to communicate and they're still people and they're still human. And so then what is it, you know, about us that makes us human? And it does seem to be this empathy and this sort of, um, urge to care for one another or to make the next generation better. I think that there is, it's an interesting question to ponder. And the focus on language, of course, as a reader and a writer, I, I loved thinking about that piece of human society, but then I was also still, you know, resisting that in, in a lot of ways. Because I think you have to be really careful when you are answering that question, what makes us human? Right. Because there are so many different ways to be human in in this world. And yeah, I, I think there might be something there to her saying that language or, or even if it's not language, like agreed upon means of communication make all of those other things simpler and easier, right? They make connection easier, more streamlined, and they make that like teaching and care easier in some circumstances. But it's not necessarily um, language that makes us human. And it's not a particular kind of, of language even. It's just that willingness to try to understand another person and come up with something that works where you can can share yourselves with each other. Something else that made me think of with this language and the way that we use language is the ways in which even our like agreed upon language in the U.S. doesn't always suffice 
in order for us to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Particularly if I'm thinking about like our political climate or even as people are communicating about COVID and the pandemic, sometimes it feels like we're talking in circles to each other and misunderstanding or disagreeing. But even our shared language is becoming different, partly because we are in different spaces and it's easy to sort of isolate yourself in these space in you know, a space where you're only communicating with people that agree with you or think like you or taking in, you know, your news from a certain source. And it it is affecting language. Yes. And communication in like, I think really deep seated ways. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about this society that seems really like far off from our own, I don't know if it actually is. Yeah, I had the same thought while reading that, that while this definitely, you know, reads as speculative fiction, there's also just like a a larger metaphor working through this whole story about our inability to or lack of willingness to adapt our, our own selves and the way we want to communicate to the way others communicate or want to. And um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really important point and, and something that I think would make this story a really interesting one to discuss in, in classrooms. And um, just, I don't know if you listeners have book clubs where maybe you're having trouble focusing on long books, like this would be a great story to, to dive into with a group because there's just, there's so many layers to what is happening and being explored here. It's really discussable. And I think that that is the mark of, I don't know, in my opinion, but I think that I can generalize here, the mark of impeccable science fiction or speculative fiction is when we do have all of those parallels Mm -hmm. to the quote real world where it feels distant enough that it gives us space to sort of analyze our world from Mm -hmm. that new perspective or uh, it, yeah, it, it just feels just different enough, but we can still recognize ourselves in it. I thought that the little snippet from Isaac Asimov at the beginning of this in the PDF that we read was interesting because he sort of talks about like the different ways that people perceive science fiction. And then he says that he defines science fiction as being committed neither to marvels nor to disasters. It deals with possible situations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think that's interesting because you think about this story, you could see it as like, oh, this is post-disaster. It is about a disaster. That is a that is a more negative way of looking at it with its hopeful ending. I think thinking of Thinking of these stories as possible situations is is a fascinating way to think about it. I love that. And I think a lot of our, our pairings get at that idea of possible situations in a variety of different ways. So let's let's get into to those. Before we share our handful of pairings for this short story. We want to tell you about our favorite audiobook subscription service, Libro FM. They are the only audiobook subscription service where you can support your favorite independent bookstore with every single purchase that you make. And we love them so much. 
We do. I think both of us have long been audio listeners, but in the last year and just as our ability to focus and the way our days look has changed, audiobooks have been a huge lifesaver and have kept us both reading when we might not be reading as much otherwise. So Chelsea, what are you listening to on Libra right now? I just downloaded Opal and Nev. Oh, I've heard great things. Yeah, I'm really liking it. And it's great on audio because it's a full cast. So I think, I mean, I've seen lots of comparisons to Daisy Jones and the Six. Absolutely a fair comparison because it is a little bit like an oral history of music group. And yeah, it's really good on audio so far. I'm really enjoying it. Bonnie Turpin is one of the cast members. I see her name and I just like automatically click download. So I'm really liking that one. What about you, Sarah? I just finished Infinite Country by Patricia Engel, which I loved. I think I mentioned that in our spring books preview. And Sometimes I like to use my audiobook credits for like really long books because I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. But other times I love looking at my Libro queue and seeing like a five or six hour book that I know I can bump the speed up a little bit and get through in a day or two and just feel really accomplished. And that was the case with this one. And it was just fantastic. Well, listeners, if you want an audiobook subscription service where you can support independent bookstores, and a really great company in general, then you can go to Libro FM. And when you sign up for your membership, use code Novel Pairings at checkout so you can get two audiobooks for the price of one. You can also just go to the link in our show notes to go right to that link. And again, that is code Novel Pairings at Libro FM. Let's talk pairings. So, listeners, we are each going to be sharing two pairings today. On our novel episodes, we share three. We're transitioning to just sharing one fewer each on our short story episodes, so we can just keep these episodes a little bit tighter, but we have some great books for you today. So Chelsea, what is your first pairing for speech sounds? My first pairing is not in the science fiction vein at all, but it's a classroom pairing. I think that this book pairs well when talking about language and trauma, which Speech Sounds definitely covers. And we didn't get to talk much about reading Speech Sounds under the feminist lens, but I totally think it can be. We talked a little bit about the patriarchy. (laughs) But another book that I think does this really well and works well in the classroom is Speak by Lori Halls Anderson. And this is about a young girl who suffers a traumatic assault over summer. And then when she goes to school, she is silent. She doesn't speak and she just feels like she can't. And the book is about her navigating her trauma and navigating, you know, how to put language to what happened to her. So it is definitely a mature read. I have read this with ninth and 10th graders. It obviously requires some trigger warnings for students, but I just think some of the themes pair well here with speech sounds. And I think that they could be a really interesting duo just because they tackle language and trauma from completely different angles, but still articulate a lot of the same themes 
And I think that both of them under a feminist reading are really powerful. So that's Speak by Lori Halls Anderson. It's really one of my favorite YA books. I love that book so much. It It's fantastic. And even if you're not typically a YA reader or don't have a classroom curriculum to plan for, I, I think a lot of our listeners would really like Speak if you haven't picked that one up yet. My first one pairs pretty well with Speak as well, uh, but it's quite different. This is speculative fiction. It is Vox by Christina Dolcher. It came out in 2018. It is dystopian or speculative fiction. It definitely falls into both of those categories. It's set in a not-too-distant United States, and the government has decided that women are only allowed to speak 100 words per day. And they have to wear these little, I think they're on their wrists, these little bracelets that are like tickers or counters that that limit how many words they can speak. They count how many they're speaking and then they get like a shock if they go over that. And that is kind of the, the first um, wave of all of these patriarchal legislations that begin passing and soon women can't hold jobs and and then girls aren't allowed to attend school, or if they can, it's a different schooling and they aren't taught to read or write. It's, of course, compared a lot to The Handmaid's Tale, and rightfully so. Um, but I just, I think this is a really very different way of looking at a speculative landscape where people can't speak, um, or at least some people can't speak. It's not a uh, physical limitation. It is a totalitarian regime, a governmental limitation. But I think it would, again, pair in a really interesting way because of how throughout this book, their their inability to speak or their the fact that they are their speech is limited changes how these women see themselves and see their families and see the world that they, they live in. So it, it also kind of talks about language and humanity. It um, has similar patriarchal threads as well. So I, I think that'd be a great pairing both for Speak, which you just talked about, Chelsea, and, and with Speech Sounds. So that's Vox by Christina Dolcher. Yeah, that does sound like it would work really well with those. It's YA, so I think it would be a good classroom book as well. I didn't realize that that was YA. I well, maybe it's not. It felt maybe like it reads y- like it. <laughs> it felt like YA to me, but I didn't read it with my like English teacher classroom lens on, so I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> we'll look into it. <laughs> I have some short stories to recommend. So, a short story collection that I have sitting on my shelf is Octavia's Brood. Science fiction stories from social justice movements. This is not a collection of Octavia Butler stories, but if you liked her style and if you love her fiction, then I think that this collection is worth picking up. These are short stories from many different writers. There are so many. LeVar Burton is a contributor, which is fun. And they are writing inspired by 
Octavia Butler. So they're writing stories that are science fiction that highlight social justice themes, much like so much of her work does. And I think that you could argue that Speech Sounds does. I think there's a certain way that you could read it and really highlight more more of the social justice themes. So if you liked Speech Sounds, you like Butler's fiction in general, Octavia's Brood is a great option for more short stories. And finding more speculative fiction, science fiction writers who are creating great work, I think it's it's fun to get an anthology like that and then discover someone else's work. So that is Octavia's Brood. All right. And my final pairing is Severance by Ling Ma, which I loved this book so much. I actually read it with my book club last April or May. We decided to read a pandemic book and we all really enjoyed this. And similar to Speech Sounds, it was a more manageable read than I think something like Station Eleven would have been mid-COVID because the illness described is so drastically different. So although there are many parallels. But in Severance, um, an illness is spreading around the world that basically causes people, they become somewhat zombie-like, and it causes people to just repeat their daily loops like over and over. Um, and sometimes those loops kind of narrow. So some people will will like get up and go to work and like run through their daily routines, but other people just kind of like walk around their their house and straighten things up over and over and over. And it follows a, a young woman named Candace who she lives in in Manhattan and has been able to avoid this being fevered, which is what they call it, um, for for some time. And and she's looking to try and escape Manhattan and and find someplace safer. She ends up in this community that's somewhat cult-like who kind of protect her, but she knows she's going to eventually need to flee from them as well. It's so well done. It's my favorite type of speculative fiction, as we've discussed, that's just really highlighting real-world issues, issues that I haven't seen explored in this way before. Like I just felt like she was really interested in the way capitalism kind of turns people into these sorts of cogs and it really is looking at our humanity within our um, capitalist structure where we come to really understand ourselves as our jobs and as our as the things we do every day instead of maybe who we're connected to and and who um who we love and and all of those things so i i think this book is fantastic it is really well written as well. It it won a lot of awards, I think, and was named best book on quite a few lists when it came out. So highly recommend Severance by Ling Ma. Sarah, sometimes on Short Story Club, we remember to do picks of the week and sometimes we forget, but we remembered this time. So I am eager to hear what you would recommend as a pick of the week, either something to read or watch or listen to that goes along with speech sounds. So I am going to recommend another book. This is a book on my TBR 
because I kept I it's it's a modern classic. So maybe we'll cover it one day on the podcast. But I know the basic premise. And as I was reading speech sounds, I kept thinking about blindness by Jose Saramago. It won the Nobel Prize for Literature. So this is like a very well well-known, well-regarded book. I'm sure many of our listeners have already read it or or have it on their TBR. But it is about a plague or a pandemic where people experience blindness. They call it white blindness. In, in a similar way to speech sounds, both I think uh, people's kind of emotional capabilities and ability to relate to others, but also, of course, causes them not to be able to see. So I I just, I don't know all that much about blindness, except that it is very well thought of. And like I said, a modern classic. And I just kept thinking as I was reading Speech Sounds, I have to get to that book eventually. So that's Blindness by Jose Saramago. What is your pick of the week, Chelsea? I have an article. You can find the link in our show notes. And it is about why Octavia Butler's novels are so relevant in our current moment. And I think it's a great article. It's from BBC. And even though we were talking about one of her short stories today, a lot of the same themes and the same vivid world building and strong heroines are found in her novels. We definitely want to cover an Octavia Butler novel at some point on the podcast. So if you're interested in her work, I just think that this article is a great primer and does a good job of explaining why she's so important as an author and why we should be reading her today and why her books just feel so incredibly timely. So That is why Octavia Butler's novels are so relevant today from BBC, and I will put a link in the show notes. So Sarah, we have talked about a couple of terms today that I feel like listeners might be eager to hear more about. We talked about a feminist lens. We do have a past episode about that, but we are also teaching a class on Patreon tomorrow about literary lenses, critical theory, and how to use those as you read. So you can go to patreon.com slash novel pairings to join in and take that class with us. We also talked a lot about science fiction and speculative fiction and kind of used those terms interchangeably in this episode. We are planning a couple of episodes all about speculative fiction, including a TBR toppler and a bonus episode for our Patreon community, all about how those terms relate to each other and why we sometimes use them interchangeably, why we sometimes choose one over the other. So again, if you are interested in all of that nerdy goodness, join our Patreon community. We teach classes. We have book club chats. We have behind the scenes content. That is at patreon.com slash novel pairings. While we would love to have you over on our Patreon community, there are lots of other great ways to keep supporting novel pairings. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter through the link in our show notes. You can keep spreading the word about Novel Pairings Podcast by sending your friends a link to your favorite episode or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, you can screenshot this episode right now and share it on social media, tagging us at Novel Pairings Pod 
We love to see when and where you're listening. So go ahead and tag us and tell us what you thought of today's episode and what you thought of speech sounds. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance on this episode and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode on Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.